Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. The uh, Book of James deals mainly with spiritual maturity. The focal verse that kind of lets us know what the, uh, what the book's going to be about is in James chapter 1, verse 4. And it says, Unless steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And to me, it's really, really logical that James would want to write about this stuff for uh, really a few reasons. One, he was a disciple. Two, uh, he was a half-brother of Jesus. Three, he's a pastor, pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So it's kind of a natural thing that he would be concerned about people growing, people maturing, people being uh, what uh, God wanted them to be uh, through Christ. And we've called the study moving toward uh, Christian maturity because of that being the theme of what the book is is about. The first main topic that he deals with in in the book is is really steadfastness. And, And he's talking about how we need to be steadfast when certain tests come our way in life. And primarily, there are two types of tests that he talks about. There are tests that are external trials, and that's what we talked about last week. And external trials are not necessarily things you bring upon yourself, but that, uh, you know, culture, your, your environment, other people, you know, whatever, uh, can, can push these things your way. And uh, God literally allows those things into our lives to uh, help us to mature, to help us learn how to make it through those things uh, through our faith in Him. But there's a second type of testing also that can happen in our lives, and it's not an external trial, but instead it's an internal temptation. And, and, and that's the kind of stuff that maybe we do bring upon ourselves when we let our desires uh, kind of get out of kilter. And we fulfill our desires, many times natural desires that are just God-given, but we, we fulfill those in, in the wrong type of way. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, how uh, you and I need to develop this steadfastness when we are facing these internal temptations. And we're going to be looking at at verse 13 through verse 18 of James chapter 1. Now, kind of uh, a side issue that I want to deal with just for a moment before we jump into those verses is that there are some people in in the world uh, and have been for a long time, even when James was writing, one of the reasons maybe he was even writing, is that there are people who will want to blame God or make it God's fault that uh, they suffer or they face trials in their life or even that they're being tempted. It's like they'll say, well, God, that's unfair. You should not have made us to where we face trials. Uh, You shouldn't have made us to where we can suffer. God, it's unfair that you made us in a way that we can be be tempted. But uh, but a couple of issues there that kind of help put the right perspective on that, and that is, one, if God made us like little robots, if God made us to where we could not suffer, could not face trials, especially if God made us to where we could not be tempted and give in to sin, then that would have allowed Satan to have this huge accusation that he could hurl at God and say, well, God, see there, you know, there's a flaw in your character because you made them to where they can't help but serve you. If you remember, that's kind of what uh, Satan wanted to do in Job. You know, God said, if you consider Job, you know, this good and faithful servant I have, and, and Satan says He's, he only does it because you're good to him. And that's a similar charge that Satan would 
hurl at God if somehow we could not suffer, could not face trials, could not face especially temptation. Second thing that, that might be harder for us to accept, but is still really true, and that is God is a sovereign God. <laughs> and, and that kind of means this, since God's a sovereign God, we don't have the right to tell him what's right and what's wrong. We don't have the right to say, God, you shouldn't have made me like that. You shouldn't have made me to where I can suffer. You shouldn't have made me to where I could face trials in my life. God, you should not have made me to where I could face temptations. And we find these words in, in Romans. <clears throat> you will say to me then, why does he still, talking about God, find fault? For who can resist his will? But the response is this, but, but who are you that Paul writes? Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to his molder, why have you made me like this? So, you know, God is this ultimate potter, is forming us into the shape, molding us in the shape he wants us to be. And we don't really have the right to act like clay talking back to the potter and say, what do you think you're doing with me? So those are two things to consider when you start thinking about, well, God, is it, it's really wrong. You shouldn't have made it where I could suffer, face trials or face temptation, because you have to bring those other issues, issues to bear. God wants to use both the trials and the temptations in life to mature us. God does not send the temptations, as we'll see in just a moment, but he wants to use both the trials. Many times the trials he does send, but he wants to use both the trials and temptations to mature us, to, to help us to become more like Christ. And when it comes to temptation, he kind of matures us by helping us walk through those things and try to help us overcome those temptations. Satan sends temptations to bring out the worst in your life. God allows them in your life to bring out the best in your life, not to try and bring out the worst in your life. And to help us understand that, if we can spend some time today talking about the character of God, because that's really what he does in these verses, he tells us two really big things about God's character. And it'll help us overcome temptation if we'll focus on the character of God instead of focusing upon the temptation. And, and the reason that's really practical is this. If we focus on the temptation, if we look at the wrong thing long enough, what are we going to do? We're going to give in to it, aren't we? So instead of focusing on the temptation when you're being tempted, instead focus on God in the temptation. And, and by doing that, he can help give some avenues to where you can can overcome the temptation. So I want you to notice two big things about the character of God. First of all, we need to understand today what God will not do. There, there's some things that God will not do. And then we're going to close by talking about some things that God will do. And, and it will help us as we, you know, approach temptation in our lives for us to understand a little bit about what God will not do. In, in verse number 13 through 16, James writes these words. He says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my, my beloved brothers. Temptation does not come from God. That's what he just told us. God's not the one that authors temptation, sends temptation, creates temptation in, in our lives. 
He said that no one should say this. No one should try and claim, God, it's your fault that I'm being tempted. God, you're the one that that caused this to happen in my life. Because he said God can't be tempted with evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone. Now, some of the words that he used there in the Greek, the the word tempted uh, means to test objectively, to to endeavor, to scrutinize, to entice. Uh, The root word has the idea of piercing you with the temptation. Uh, to pierce through or across. But he says, God himself cannot be tempted. He's not temptable whatsoever with evil. There's not anything worthless or intrinsically evil that, or depraved or injurious. Anything like that will not come from God because he tempts no one, not even one man, woman, or thing. Our tendency, though, as humans is to kind of try and blame God for it. Isaiah, because Isaiah was human, he was writing kind of what he, what he felt uh, under divine inspiration because God wanted to bring this issue to bear. But, it, but in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 17, Isaiah writes these words, Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways? God, I, I've walked away from where you want me to be, but God, why did you make me do it? And, and we tend to think of that in, in human terms. Adam and Eve, they're in the creation story, in the original sin, that's kind of what was going on uh, in their mind somewhat. They had sinned. God shows up, and he's asking them why. And, and look what happens here. The, the man said, you know, God asked Adam, why did you do this? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. So here's kind of what he's doing with his sin, with his temptation. God, it's not my fault. It's her fault. Now, some of you guys better be real still right now. Don't amen, don't grunt, you'll be in trouble. But ultimately, notice where he really points the blame. He says, God, it was a woman that you gave me. So what did he just do? He said, God, this is really your fault that I did this because you gave me this woman. So so God looks at the woman, and the Lord God said to her, what is this that you've done? And she basically does the same thing. She says... The serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, who created the serpent? God. So she's kind of passing the buck also. They're both wanting to kind of say, God, this is ultimately your fault that it happened. Job, on the other hand, with everything that Job faced in, in his life, said this, Therefore, hear me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness and from the Almighty, that he should do wrong. In other words, Job knew that God did not do those things. God may test us to stretch our faith. That's what we talked about last week. Send trials to stretch our faith. But God is not the one that sends temptations into our lives. A lot of temptations happen because we take the occasion ourselves and we turn it into a temptation. We allow it to become a huge temptation in our lives. So since temptation does not come from God, where does temptation come from? And James more or less tells us this, temptation comes from our desires and deception. It comes from our desires and deception. So let's talk about our desires to start with. But each person is tempted when he is, lure, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, now, the word desire doesn't necessarily mean something wrong. It can be that, that you're longing for something that's forbidden, but there are a lot of natural desires that God gives us in our lives that it's not wrong at all to have the desire, 
the temptation and the sin comes in when we try and fulfill that desire in the wrong way. And, and that's more or less what he's saying. We, we're, we're tempted when we're lured and enticed by our own desires, when we let, let our desires get, get tweaked in the wrong way in, in, in our lives. Let me, let me give you some examples of, of that. Uh, there's not anything wrong with being hungry and getting something to eat because if you don't do that, you're going to die, right? But if you steal the food, what you have taken is a desire that you've had and you fulfilled it in the wrong way. Sex, for instance. I'm looking to see if anyone cringes because a lot of times you say the word sex at church. I'm like, ooh, you know. I've got news for you. God created it, Okay. Our problem is the world has twisted it in such a mangled mess that we get a a wrong perception of it, but there's not anything inherently sinful about sex. God's the one that created it to be a special gift between a a man and a woman, I think, for more than just procreation. uh, And there are various reasons I'll say that, that I'll not go there uh, right now, because that's not really the the intent of, of, of the message today. But... Sex and the desire for that intimate contact is a natural desire that did not surprise God that we have. Because he put it there. But when we fulfill it outside the bonds of marriage, what happens? It becomes wrong and sinful. When we try and fulfill it in, in the wrong way. That's when it becomes wrong. It's, it's a natural desire, a good desire, but we can, can twist it into something that it, that it should not be. One of the definitions in the word desire a moment ago meant to, to superimpose your desire over something. So, so if we take a, a natural desire that we have in our life and we superimpose it over something that's wrong, that good desire can become something very wrong in your life. If you take that natural desire that God's given you and you superimpose it over pornography, it's going to develop things in your life that don't need to be there. If you take a natural desire in, in your life that, that God has, has given you and you're superimposing it, maybe you're prone to some kind of addictions in your life and you take your desires and you, and you hover them over, you superimpose them over those addictions, then it's going to lead you to giving in to the temptation that, that you're facing. See, temptations arise from our heart, from our nature. Jesus said this, For out of the heart... Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and, and, and slander. And, and the Bible lets us know where temptations come from, even as we look at what Judas Iscariot did. It said during the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Who put it in his heart? Not God. So since we have these temptations, these desires that can be fulfilled in the wrong way what what are some avenues that maybe can help us overcome the tendency to superimpose our desire over something that's wrong but david gives us a couple of hints in the psalms i think that can be really helpful to us he said i will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless i hate the work of those who fall away it shall not cling to me a perverse heart shall be far from me i will know nothing of evil so if you have that mindset on the outset that that you're going to say i'm not going to put something here that don't need to be here because the more you put it here guess what the more it's going in here right and in here 
And it's something I think is really, really helpful. In Psalm 119, David writes these words, I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So, so if we want an, an avenue to help us overcome temptation in our lives, we, we need to be storing God's word up in our heart instead of us taking our desire and hovering our desire over the wrong thing. If we'll take the desires that we have and hover those desires over God's word. And, and allow God's word to direct our response to the temptation. If we'll hover it here, instead of hovering over whatever the temptation is about, it'll give you more of a chance for victory in your life. And he said you need to store it here, because here's why most of the time Satan's not going to think it's an opportune time to come and, and, and tempt you while you're sitting in church and you're singing praise songs and you've got a Bible and you're listening to the Bible. Most of the time he's going to tempt you is going to be when you don't have this in your hand. That's why you need to have it in your heart. Because you have it in your heart, in your mind, in that moment when the temptation is hitting you, instead of, instead of superimposing your desire over the temptation, superimpose it over what God says. That, that's where we need to, to, to attach our desires and let God's Word guide our desires. Now, that, that's what he says about desires. But he also says something about deceptions there. He said each person is tempted when... He is lured and enticed by his own desire. Satan wants to deceive you. He wants to to, to lure you, to entice you to fulfilling your desires in the wrong way. The the word for lure means to drag forth, to entice, to sin, to draw away, to, to drag, to take for oneself. The word entice means to entrap, to delude, to allure. And the root word means a decoy, a trick, or bait. We almost went super redneck today at day three. Because you see, the words he's using there is talking about hunting. And all of a sudden, all the guys say, yeah, he's going to talk about hunting today. Because I almost thought, you know, since he's given these words that actually allude to uh, hunting or trying to trap something, I almost showed up this morning with a grunt call with rattling horns and have Daryl come down with his turkey call. And we would probably be the only county in... Caldwell, you know, I mean, the only church in Caldwell County this morning that probably had that happen. So I, I didn't, but, you, but you'll get the illustration anyway. See, the, the reason hunters use those things are to entice the animal to come over here. And after they come over here, something bad happens and they get drug forth or drug out. Have you ever watched any of the hunting shows? You ever seen those on uh, on TV in with the hunting shows? And it's kind of weird the way they do this. Not all of them do it, but a lot of them do. You know, they're they're showing them trying to call the animal, whether it's a deer or a turkey or whatever, and they're trying to call it in, and then it shows it showing up in the distance, and then they and they start this uh, you know, this this music, you know, kind of really dramatic music as the deer's walking up or the turkey's walking up, and, and they keep playing the music and playing it until it gets to the point. All of a sudden, the music stops. What happens, guys, when the music stops? Boom! So that that animal is enticed over. Same thing in fishing. You know, you, you try and get the right lure, the right bait, presented to that fish so it will bite. But when it bites, it's not a good thing unless it's a guy doing release and catch, you know. Satan don't do release and catch. He does catch, catch catch and I want to keep your life he, he wants to he wants to lure us 
Just like a, a deer hunter trying to lure that buck is, is trying to make a you know sound that maybe there's other bucks other bucks over there fighting that means that there's a, a a doe that may be ready for a boyfriend somewhere in the neighborhood or you know put out scents that make them believe the same thing or you know use a, a, a doe in heat call that when that is, you know happens and he hears it that that big old buck thinks aha you know and he starts to respond to it. And that's what Satan kind of does in our lives. We've got these natural desires, just like those animal illustrations, hunting illustrations I use. Those animals have natural desires, and we try to trick them and play on those natural desires to get them trapped. And that's what Satan wants to do in our lives. He wants to take the natural desires that we have, and he wants to entice us to deceive us, to lure us. And more or less, he, Satan's wanting to take our natural desires, and he's wanting to attach to our natural desires his deception now there there's some words that are that are used here back back up i think maybe you just want to no go ahead i'm sorry uh and just go into the go into the next one uh and i'll just bring all that together under this thought but uh but temptation when you act upon it you know temptation comes about because of your desire and the deception of, of, of satan but when you act upon it, when you act upon that temptation, it winds up resulting in disobedience and death. He, he said, then desire when it has conceived, now pay attention to that word conceived, gives birth to sin. Now, some of the words that, that he uses here, that James uses in the, in the Greek, the, the word for desire we've already looked at is, you know, superimposing uh, something you're really passionate about, you're superimposing over the wrong thing. But the word conceived means uh, to class, to seize, especially to conceive. The root word means union with. And, and then he goes on and he says gives birth. And, and the word for gives birth means to produce. And in parentheses, from seed as a mother or a plant. And then sin means for us to miss God's mark, God's best for our lives. See, the, the, the language that James uses, and I'm not trying to be improper at all, I'm just trying to tell you what he's saying when you look at those word studies and you start to mix all that together. What he's kind of warning us about is this. We have these natural desires but when we allow Satan to take our desires and put his deception in bed with our desires, there's a child can see that's called disobedience and sin. Pretty vivid image, isn't it? I hope that's an image that will stay with you. That was one of the things I liked about the Outflow series because you could get that image of a fountain in your mind and start to view yourself as a fountain that the Holy Spirit's filling me up and I need to get to overflowing into my family and friends, overflowing in my community, overflowing into the, into the rest of the world. You can get this image of a fountain in your mind. Well, here's a, an image that maybe can help you when temptation comes your way, understanding that what Satan is wanting to do, he's wanting to take your desire and he's wanting to deceive you, entice you, to lure you in. He He's wanting to take your desire and his deception and kind of marry those things together or at least get them in bed together with each other. And those two things brought together in the wrong way will conceive sin in your life. 
So I, I hope maybe we can, the next time temptation comes around, we can get that image in our mind. Oh, Satan's trying to get me to take my desires and put them in bed with his deceptions. And when I do that, it's going to produce something that's really, really wrong in my life. And you see, God's not the one that wants to put those two things together. God doesn't want to put your desire and deception together. God wants to put your desire and truth together. Satan is the one that wants to get those two things in bed together. Because when he does that, there's going to be this conception that winds up bringing forth sin and ultimately even leads to death because he said, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Father and mother conceive a child. You know, that child grows up. In the image that James has given us, when we let our temptation, when we let our desire be married to the deception of Satan, to his lie, it gives birth to sin. And when that sin is fully grown, guess what you've got? It's death. It takes place. And I don't know, guys, I don't think death sounds like a positive thing. Do you? That we're, that we're doing something that's going to grow up death in, in our lives. And he, he's telling us sin fully brought forth. That's what it develops. It, it, it consummates or it, or it breathes forth. Death is what some of the words mean that he's using there. And just in case you think, oh, it doesn't really do that. Can I point you to Genesis chapter 5? Because God told Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. In Genesis chapter 5, as you start to read the offspring, the legacy of their sin, the family tree of Adam and Eve, you know what you find? This person was born, beget so-and-so, and he died. And he died, and he died, a long list. They were beget, they were born, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Why did the Holy Spirit of God take pretty much almost a whole chapter to say this person was born, this person died, this person was born, this person died, to reinforce that he had said, when you partake of that, fruit when you disobey me it will bring forth death and guess what it did they died they died they died they died they died that's what sin will ultimately bring forth in our lives go back to the hunting illustration for a moment the fish that bites that lure winds up in a frying pan right Dead. that buck that responds to the rattling horns or the scent that's put out there or the dope bleed or whatever it is. He comes running in thinking he's going to have a good time. And he winds up dead, hung up in a tree, and all of his dignity stripped from him. And, and that's the goal that Satan has in our lives. He wants to take that temptation and bring forth death in our lives. This isn't shouting territory. I understand this. I told the people at the end of the first service, I said, I know you're going to go away this week. And you're, somebody will say, well, what, what did they talk about at church? You're going to say, well, he talked about our, my desires, and he talked about temptation, and he talked about death. Wow. I'm pumped up about that. Let's go talk about it. But it's needful stuff. We need to understand what temptation can do in our lives. We need to understand how he wants to use it in our lives in, in a negative way. So maybe how can we defeat temptation a little bit? I, I showed you some things in Psalms earlier but I think as he continues writing here in, in, in these verses that we're looking at, temptation can, can be defeated by doing a couple of things, by avoiding and embracing. By avoiding and embracing. What we need to do is avoid the deception of, fate, of Satan. He says, do not be deceived. 
As a matter of fact, when you read it in the Greek, he's saying, stop being deceived. So that gives the thought that they were already being deceived. He's telling, and he's writing to believers, by the way. He's saying, stop roaming from safety or the truth. The, the root word means fraudulence or, or astray from orthodoxy or piety, deceit or to deceive, to rove as a tramp or an imposter, a misleader, a deceiver, seducing or seducing. He said, quit roaming around like a tramp. Quit roaming around like you're being unfaithful to God. Quit straying from the truth. So instead of straying from the truth and letting your desire hover over something that's a temptation, instead he's saying, do this. You, you need to return to truth. Your orthodoxy, the doctrine, hover your life over, over that. And the reason we so need to do that is we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, some, something about Satan. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so he's like the hunter out there making everything sound good or, or smell good, and you think it's okay. Whereas Peter, he said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil roars around, or prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's not like a little kitty cat coming up that's all cute, and you can pet it and say, look at that nice little kitty cat. He's wanting to destroy you, to eat you down, to destroy your life. Jesus said this about him. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. So if we're going to try and overcome temptation somewhat, we've got to quit listening to him because all he's doing is lying to us. He's using trickery. He's using that lure to try and get you to come in so he can trap you, to get you to put your desires over the wrong thing. A huge step in defeating temptation is to avoid the deception of Satan. I read a story this week as I was studying for this, an illustration that someone else had used in a, in a commentary. And it talked about uh, this little girl in Sunday school class. And the little girl explained temptation like this. Uh, she said that I've got two people living inside of me. I have Adam and I have Jesus. And when temptation knocks at the door, I've got to send somebody to open the door. And she said, if I send Adam to open the door, I always lose. If I send Jesus to open the door, I always win. Does that make sense? Because you see, that's true of all of us. We still have that old stinking nature that we had before we received Christ. But now we've received Christ, we also have the Holy Spirit of God. We have Him living inside of our lives. Temptation is going to knock. It will be knocking all the time, trying to get you married to the wrong thing, to bring about the wrong thing in your life. What we need to do is when temptation knocks, is send Jesus to the door every time. Instead of sending that old person to the door. Not only do we need to avoid the deception of Satan, we need to embrace our connection with other believers. Because he said, be not deceived, my beloved brothers. He uses a form of agape for a beloved and, and brothers, talking about us as Christians. Kind of, we, we're, we're brought through that same gospel womb, so to speak, and we're part of the same family. And I think for him to tie that in, like he does, don't be deceived, and he's dealing with temptation, just maybe James is kind of implying this. Since we have each other, we need to help each other when temptation comes. 
We need to hold each other accountable. We need to love each other. We, we, we need to help other people when they are being beaten up by temptation in, in their lives. We, we need to have this connection that we embrace and hold on to each other because we need each other. So it'll help us when temptation comes to look at the character of God and understand, first of all, what he will not do. He will not be the one to tempt you. But in closing, I want us to also understand that we need to, we need to know what God will do. Not just what God will not do. And as we look at verse 17 and 18, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, God's own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of the first fruits of, of His creatures. So I want you to see three things real quickly. What God will do is this. God will give you good and perfect gifts. God will not send temptation into your life. He desires to send good and perfect gifts coming down from above. And when you look at, at, at the language that he uses there, it's good as it being a beneficial gift. It's a huge gift and a very wide application when you look at the word that he used in the Greek. It's a perfect gift or one that's there to complete you, to, to help you become more, the, the point that he has aimed in your life to become more mature. And it's a gift that is continually coming down. When he, when he said coming down, the tense means that it keeps coming down. You see, God himself, we, we've already said God will not tempt you because God can't be tempted. God, God is too holy himself to be tempted, and God is too loving to tempt you. He's not trying to trip you up. He's not trying to destroy your life. He, he loves you too much. Instead of temptation, instead of bad gifts, God wants to give us good and perfect gifts. And to be honest with you, it kind of depends on how we use those gifts once he gives them to us. We can misuse them and lead toward temptation or sin, or we can use those gifts in the right way. God will only give good and perfect gifts. He's the father of lights, it said. He, he's not the father of darkness. God is light, and that means the gifts that he's going to give will be light and, and not darkness. They will be good gifts that he wants to shine into your life. God wants to give you good and perfect gifts. Yes. And if we'd remember that, when temptation comes, instead of grabbing something that's substandard, instead of grabbing something that's not really part of what he wants for our lives, he has a good and perfect gift over here. If we'd remind ourselves of that, instead of grabbing the wrong thing, let's grab the right thing. Let's grab hold of the good and perfect gift that he's wanting to give us, instead of the one that gets us in trouble. Second thing I want you to notice is God will have a constant or a consistent character. As you wrestle with temptation in your life, if you wonder, you know, where in the world will help come from, or, or maybe God has morphed and changed and transformed himself, and now he's not really into helping you, he's trying to pull you down by temptation, erase that thought, because we're told that those good gifts come down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. The word for no variation literally means there's no transmutation. God is not going to, you know, mute himself into something different. The same God that James wrote about years ago is the same God that's available to you today. God will not change his character. God will not have said this was wrong 10,000 years ago, but it's right for today. God will not change. 
And if we'll understand God's character is unchanging, when temptation comes, trust in Him. He's, what He said in the past is still true. Apply His Word to your life because God will not even cast a shadow that even looks like He's turned around in the wrong direction whatsoever. He said in Malachi, for I'm the Lord, I, I do not change. A couple of reasons God can't change that may be noteworthy. I don't, I don't think it's in your notes. You might even want to write this down. But God cannot change for the worse because he's holy. God cannot change for the worse because he's holy. God cannot change for the better because he's already perfect. There's no way he can get any better because he's perfect to begin with. And that's why we need to trust his character. That he will be consistent when we're dealing with temptation in our life. And the last thing is simply this. God will birth us or direct us by his truth. He closes out in verse 18. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of the first fruits of his, of his creatures. The word for brought forth, James is still using the same thought, the same illustration, the same language that he was using earlier. It means to breed forth, to generate, to beget. It, it, the root word means to swell forth with young. I mean, it speaks of a, of a woman being with child. Earlier, James was using this thought. He, he was saying what happens when temptation really hits our lives and we give in to it is that we've got these desires, and he brings his deception trying to lure us and entice us, and you get those two things in bed together, and what is produced is disobedience and sin that ultimately leads to death. But now he's still using the same kind of illustration. And he's saying what God will do for us is to birth us forth by the word of truth. By, by his own word, which is totally fulfilled in, in the divine expression that was Jesus. Him being God's word in, in the flesh. And he wants to do that in order that you and I can exist as, as a sample of what it will ultimately be like. That's what the first fruit kind of means. God, God wants to change our lives to where you and I are samples of what we will fully be one day. So the image that he's really given us through this passage of Scripture is don't let your desires and Satan's deception be brought together and produce something that it should not produce. Instead, take your desires and allow your desires to be impacted by his word. And if we'll allow our desires to be impacted by his word, if we will marry our desires with his word, then it produces something beneficial. It births us into his family. It helps us to be the sample that we need to be now for what we'll ultimately be in the future. And like I said, I know this really... That's really vivid, vivid type of picture, but I think that's exactly what the Holy Spirit had in mind by the, by the words that he's, he's used here. Regrettably, too often, we're swift to sin. We're swift to give in to the temptation. And what we need to do instead is to be swift to hear his word and allow his word to change, change our desires. The goal of this section of James that we've dealt with last week and this week is to help us be steadfast. To help us be steadfast when we face 
external trials that are forced upon our lives, but also to help us be steadfast when we have that internal temptation happen. When, we, when, our, when our desires are being, being lured and tempted to go in the wrong direction. God will never, ever tempt you. But God will give you some good gifts and help you with temptation if you'll let him. Paul said it like this. Paul said, no temptation has ever taken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be, te- to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In counseling with people over the years and counseling with myself over the years, I've come back to that verse a lot. Especially people that maybe have some uh, addictive behavior in their life. It doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol. There's a lot of addictive behavior you can have in your life. Remember what's happening. You've got these desires, and Satan is trying to play on those desires by giving the exact lure or the enticement to bring forth something that doesn't need to happen in your life. So I'll tell people when they're facing that desire, you know, maybe it's an addictive habit that keeps coming back up. What they need to do in that moment is claim this verse. Don't lie to yourself and say, oh, but the temptation I'm facing is just so strong, I, I can't overcome it. No, he said that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability beyond what you're able but with the temptation will provide a door of escape that you may be able to endure it here's what i tell people to do when the temptation hits call time out and go ahead and stop right then and pray and say god you promise me you will not let me be tempted beyond what i'm able to stand God, you promised me that you'd give me a door of escape. God, you know right now I'm being tempted with this. God, please help me overcome it. Please, please help me find the door of escape. And see, here's what I think that can do for people. Because whatever it is you're being tempted to, if you will, if you'll call time out for a minute, if you'll give a little disconnect to that temptation and take time to connect with God... I think it's going to be really hard for you just to hop right up after you pray and say, God, help me with this. You just pray and hop up and say, oh, I'm going to go do it anyway. You get the picture, you get the image. If we're really authentic, if we know Christ as our Savior, if we understand God is working on our lives and he wants us to be more and more like Jesus and we're facing temptation, if we'll stop, call time out, do a disconnect between the temptation, take a moment and connect with God and say, God, give me the door of escape then hopefully you'll rise from that prayer looking for the door of escape instead of looking for an excuse to give in to the temptation. Father, forgive us when we've taken our desires and we've hovered our desires, superimposed our desires over wrong things, over the temptation. 
until we lose that battle, until we've been enticed and tricked and drawn in. Forgive us when we've allowed our desires to get in bed with the deception of Satan and bring about disobedience and sin in our lives. Help us, Father, to instead of focusing on, on the temptation, help us to focus upon, upon your character that you want to give us good and perfect gifts. Lord, that, that, that you are consistent in your character and, and you don't change. You're there for us to, to help us through. And that you want to take your word and birth the right things in our lives instead of allowing the temptation to birth the wrong things in our life. Help us to have a relationship with your word, not a relationship with the deception of Satan. Forgive us for all the times we've been deceived. Forgive us for all the times we've not looked for the door of escape. God, prepare us, help us, teach us, equip us to to deal with temptation in a way that makes us more steadfast, in a way that glorifies you. Father, we pray for those gathered in this number of people right now. No doubt some are wrestling with strong temptations in their lives. No doubt some are experiencing things birthed in their lives that they didn't anticipate because of temptation. God, I pray you help them to recover from that. Help them to learn not to respond to the deception of Satan, but to respond to your word. Father, for anyone here that has never ever trusted in Christ as Savior, God, help them to understand they they just don't have a chance without you. Help them to admit that that they've sinned as all of us have. Help them to realize that their door of escape right now from their sin and their punishment in a place called hell is the door of Jesus Christ by trusting in Him and what He did on the cross. Speak to us now. Help us to respond to what you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You as a believer have been deceived and you've allowed your desires to attract you and it's birthing out wrong things in your life. Why not during this time seriously pray between you and God and ask for God's help? He said, don't be deceived, dearly beloved brother. So that means there are people here that care for you and care for what you're facing in your life. And God may even tell you, hey, I want you to step forward and kneel and pray. And he may tell other Christians here to say, I I want you to go pray with that person. Because they need to know that you're there to help them get through whatever it is they're facing. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, why not come today? Why not escape your sin, why not escape your punishment? Why not escape a place the Bible talks about called hell? By understanding Jesus is the door of escape. He's a door into a relationship with God. He's a door to your total forgiveness of everything that you've ever done or will ever do because he paid for it on the cross. Please stand as God speaks to you. We invite you please to respond. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location 
service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.